0: Well, good morning. I want to welcome everybody here this morning. It's great to have you here. We're continuing in our series through the book of Jonah. This is week four. We're kind of taking our time, working our way through that. Next week, we're going to be uh, still in chapter three, but uh, would encourage you to come and join us next week as well. In chapter uh, one, verse two, God tells Jonah, his prophet, to travel to the great city of Nineveh and to deliver a message. Jonah's response to God's call wasn't really that stellar. Uh, He was not obedient. In fact, he ran in the opposite direction. He he tried to get out of going to that great city, Nineveh. He tried to flee God's presence, and then he ended up almost drowning, Uh, yet God saved him, and as Pastor Brandon spoke last week, Jonah's salvation was only found in the Lord in that moment. There was no other way that he was going to survive except by God's amazing grace. Our salvation is all also found in our Lord Jesus Christ alone. It is in Christ alone that we receive eternal life. It is in Christ alone that we have all that we need in this life and, of course, on into life everlasting. That is only through Jesus' Christ. God's grace is what we celebrate this morning, solemnly remembering with communion today. Our gratitude for God's extending a forgiveness to us that we don't deserve and that our worship and honor for the sacrifice that Jesus made as we partake of this at the end of our service. Our salvation only comes from God, doesn't it? We have to agree with that. The same was true for Jonah. His salvation in this circumstance of his life only came by the hand of God. Our God is a God of second chances. Jonah found that out. And we, if we're looking, find that out on a daily basis that God is indeed a God of second chances. And if we don't recognize that, then honestly, we're just not paying attention. Maybe even running away ourselves. God's great grace and his patience has not come to its end with Jonah, for God extends the call to Jonah to go to Nineveh a second time. He gets a do over. Look with me, if you would, at Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. If you haven't turned there yet, Jonah is one of the minor prophets at the end of the Old Testament. Uh, Jonah 3, verses 1 through 3 says this Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. Now we're told in chapter 1 that Jonah was the son of Amittai and that he was from Gath-Hefer, which was only a few miles north of Nazareth. We read very little in scripture about Jonah, though we do hear his name on uh the words of jesus himself so we know he was a real man we know that that what he did and what happened to him is true history but we have enough to know that he had a relationship with the lord and even though he was a prophet i think he was an ordinary man i don't think jonah lived an extraordinary life Maybe we would hear more in scripture if he was. We we aren't told any great and extraordinary things that he did. Mostly, you know, kind of failures. Honestly. Um, Obedience, which we're talking about today. Um, Jonah obeyed. Jonah was obedient to go. And, And all of us too, I think, if I may make that assumption about you as well, are ordinary people. We are Ordinary. And just like Jonah, we're given many, many chances time and time again to be obedient to God, to the things that he asks us to do. And our obedience isn't extraordinary. Hang with me here. It, it is simply right. It is simply the right thing to do to obey God, to obey an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, sovereign creator. Obedience, is, obedience to God is like a husband doing the dishes or emptying the dishwasher or cleaning the bathroom without being asked. Okay, hang on, hang on. Husbands, doing those things is the right thing to do. Okay, but I want to hear from wives here this morning. How many times has your husband helped around the house by doing those things? You know, he he cleans the toilet or he empties the dishwasher or he loads the dishwasher and then he comes to you and he's like, hey, guess what I did? Like you should pin a medal on his chest or something. No, no. I'm telling you. It wasn't an extraordinary thing that you did there. It was the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do. It was what you should do. Our obedience to God is the same way. Oh, oh yes, God blesses us. He does. But not because we deserve it. Not not because we're, we're like standing before him and like, hey, God, guess, guess what I did? I, I did what you told me to do. Aren't I good? No, he, he, he is amazingly generous. But our, our obedience is extraordinary. It is the right thing for us to do. In fact, it is the best thing for us to do. It is the best. Look at the text again in verse 1. Then the the, the, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So Jonah was obedient to go and then Jonah was obedient to proclaim. Jonah wasn't at liberty to go into the city and say whatever he wanted to say. He also couldn't say what he thought they might want to hear. And this is a place of tension for all of us. I know it is for pastors. Um, In pulpits all across the world, there are men and sometimes women who have determined in their own hearts and minds to say whatever they want to say. And sometimes they also determine in themselves to say what they think people want to hear. Now that may fill the seats, and, and on the other hand, it, it may not as well fill the seats. But, and this is one of the difficult parts of preaching, that as preachers, we don't have anything to say in and of ourselves. What we say, the messages that we preach must must and can only come from God himself. 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4, it'll be up here on the screen. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, Paul tells Timothy. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. I pray that that never has been or never will be true of myself. And as I said there is tension here because who doesn't want to be liked by everybody? I want to continue to be as faithful as I possibly can to proclaim the truth of God's word, to proclaim the messages that God has for me to preach. Now I there's times I'm sure I get it wrong. I, 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 my own selfishness enters in and I say what I want to say instead of what God wants me to say. But, but, but I, I don't want to preach what I think you should hear or what I think you want to hear. And we shouldn't look for preachers who will do that. Charles Spurgeon, in talking about how a man knows whether he has truly been called to the pulpit, had this to say. He says, how may a young man know whether he is called or not? That is a weighty inquiry, and I desire to treat it most solemnly. Oh, for divine guidance in so doing, that hundreds have missed their way and stumbled against a pulpit is sorrowfully evident from the fruitless ministries and decaying churches which surround us. That was written in the 1800s. This is not new. We think that the way of the church in the United States is a new thing, and though it is Similar, it is new kind of in, in our world. Our world is not very old. And Spurgeon was experiencing this in his day. It's the continuation of the spiritual battle that is raging on planet Earth and hasn't stopped since the Garden of Eden. Ephesians 6.12 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but what? Against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Those enemies that you have, those people that mistreat you, those, those people that you just can't understand why they believe what they believe, they believe those things and they treat you that way because they are under the influence of the dark powers of this world. And we need to try and see that. We need to try and understand that. Now, don't hear me wrong. Pastors are not the only ones to give other people messages. I don't have some sort of, you know, red phone in my office that I pick up once a week. And, and it, it's, a, it's a daily thing, just like it is for you. Just like it is for you. It's a daily relationship. We, we all have a message to give to people. All of us are called to proclaim so we can shy away from that, can't we? We get nervous, or we get afraid, or we don't want to offend somebody, or we, we, we think they might not like us anymore. I mean, the enemy twists all of those, all of that thinking in, in this battle, or, or, or we think even worse than saying the wrong thing or messing up, we think, what if I don't know the answer to their question? <laughs> that happens to me a lot, mind you. Yeah, well, I don't... I don't know, that's a great question. Let's see if we can find the answer to that. Here, here's the thing. We can all trust God to do the work. That's not on us. You, you and I, we don't change people's lives. We proclaim the truth, we bear witness to the gospel, we, we, we share with them, we love them, we, we, we forgive, we, we help them walk the, the path of, of faith. We simply need to be obedient and faithful in proclaiming the message that God gives us, which is what he asked Jonah to do. Jonah didn't change all the Ninevites' minds. God did. Jonah can't take the credit for that. The Holy Spirit does the work. God does the work. We need to get over ourselves and to think that we, can't do, that we can't bear witness to the gospel, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ because we're not the ones that change that person's mind. We're not the ones that change their heart. We're not the one that, that, that changed them from the inside out. That's God. That's God's work. We proclaim the message. We proclaim truth and love. We share our stories. We give Jesus praise and honor and our submission. And when God opens the door during the day for us to do some of those things, man, we gotta walk through it. And we need to have that conversation. Whether we're at work or play, if, or, or if God does call you to, to literally go to another place, whether it be another, another city in Wyoming or, or a city 2,500 miles away or even 4,000 miles away, if God is is moving you in that direction and has opened that door and it's clear to you, you need to be obedient and you need to step through it. Till we take our last breath, we need to be obedient. In the 18th century, a preacher in England by the name of Charles Simeon was approaching the end of his days And yet he was such a diligent man, he would get up early in the morning to read and to pray and to prepare for the day. And someone asked him one time, they said, Charles, you're an old man now. Do you think you could back off a little? You don't need to be doing these things the way that you were doing them when you were young. And this was his reply. He said, shall I not run with all my might now that I see the finish line in view? We keep running. We keep obeying, we keep following, we keep listening, we keep hearing. What wisdom from Charles Simeon. When we have the sense to live like Charles Simeon, then it changes everything in our life. That is what made Jonah's life so inconsistent. He knew, he knew that his whole identity, his whole existence in life was directly tied to the fact that God had come and grabbed a hold of him and said, this is what I want you to do. This is where I want you to go. He was to be a prophet, a witness, and then he runs off and he, he tries to hide. And God, because of his great mercy, because of God's great mercy, hurls a storm in his path. We say tragedy of all tragedies. They, they, they came across this storm. No, that was a movement of God. And when we face storms in our life, we need to ask the question, God, are you trying to get my attention for some reason here? What, what do you want me to learn? And God, because of that mercy, has Jonah swallowed up by a huge fish. He vomits him up onto the beach. I wonder what he looked like after three days. I mean, really. Or smelled like, yeah, like, have you ever, have you ever caught a fish, you know, picked it up, take the, took the hook out, and then put the fish back in the water, and then you smell like fish the rest of the day? It's hard to get that off. I mean, in some ways, I don't know how, how far the distance was. Well, it was at least probably 400 miles that he had to go from the beach to It's not like the beach was right next to this, or was it? It was a port. Was it a port city? Was Nineveh a port city? See, now I'm wandering into an area that I didn't study. I'll come back to that next week. But here's the thing. God comes back again. and, and, and and, And God gives him a mulligan, if you will. He says, you know what? Get a new ball out. Tee it up and hit again. I'm giving you another shot. Maybe hit it to the same place, but in a different way. Go ahead and hit a second time. Jonah was obedient to go, and then Jonah was obedient to proclaim. Now let's look at the message that he proclaimed. Jonah's message. Jonah proclaimed a message of warning and judgment, and I would imagine that he also proclaimed a testimony as well. Okay, we're told that Jonah proclaimed a five-word message. At least it's five words in the Hebrew. Verse 4: 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That was that's what we're told that that Jonah proclaimed. And like I said, I think Jonah likely expanded on that five-word sermon when, when that we're given in the text. I mean. He knows first firsthand what happens when you're disobedient and you go against God, right? I mean, he probably said something like, let me, let me tell you, people of Nineveh, it's a whale of a problem to not listen to God. <laughs> but if he did only proclaim that message, if that's all he proclaims, I think we should take comfort in that because if that's the message that God wanted him to proclaim and that's all he did, God did the rest. God did the rest. We just need to be obedient to proclaim. We just need to be faithful in in doing what he calls us to. God provided then the Ninevites exactly what he provided Jonah, a second chance. A second chance. And, And they heard it and responded to it. And Jonah didn't like it. That also we're going to talk about next week some more. Oh, no, he didn't like it at all because God was merciful. God was merciful to these people. And and yet Jonah had no right to complain about the, the mercy that God shows to other people, as we will see he does in chapter four. And the reason that Jonah doesn't have the right to complain about the mercy God shows to other people is because of the fact that that's exactly the same thing that God did for him. He showed him the exact same mercy. He shows you and me the exact same mercy. And that judgment we want to heap on other people. That, 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 um, that grudge or, or whatever that we want to hold against other people so that, so that they can feel like we feel and, and, and they can get theirs in the end. That's really what we deserve too but in God's mercy, he gives us a second chance. Alastair Begg, a preacher I listened to this week, said this, and I agree with him wholeheartedly. This is what he said. Listen, when I as a preacher sound brittle and cold and heartless and legalistic and metallic, then you can be sure that my heart has not been softened by the mercy and the grace and the love of God. But when you hear from the lips of the preacher, not only words, but with them a sense of the winning and wooing and wonder of the mercy of God, then you are safe to assume that one, he has needed to know that mercy, and two, that that mercy has so been unfolded to him that he cannot wait for the opportunity, not to tell people simply where they're all wrong, but to tell them how it is that God can take those of us who are all wrong and by his mercy make us right. That is not to stand back from the word of judgment any more than he did. He laid it out there. He gave him the judgment message. You know 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. It is appointed unto man once to die and after this comes judgment, but the sense of wonder at God's dealing with us will then permeate the way in which we tell the story to others. What a God we know. And we're all prodigals, right? We are all prodigals. We often say things like, let me out of here, or let me do this my own way, or, ah, come on, let me have some fun for a while, right? Let me be in charge. I want to do it this way. What, What brought the prodigal son back to his father? What, what, first of all, I would say there was a pretty big storm in his life. Famine, hunger. But I don't think it was guilt. I don't think it was guilt that brought the son back. I think he would have just stayed in the pig bins and felt guilty. Um, I think he was driven by the hope of God's mercy. The hope of God's mercy. I think he got on the road and he headed back to his father because he wanted to look into his father's eyes and discover grace and mercy. To experience that from his father. And that is a court, of course, exactly what happened. Paul explains it this way in Romans chapter two, verses two through three, talking about the predicament of all of humanity. Paul says this. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you, not, do you think you will escape God's judgment? And then here's the verse, verse 4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Right? Don't we know that to be true? God's word cuts us to the core and shows us the extent of our sinfulness. In fact, we see the correct nature of God's impending judgment just as Nineveh did. And there is no doubt that, they, that, that we're busted. And there's no defense that we can make. And then, and then, we are reminded once again of the love that God showed us through our Savior Jesus Christ the forgiveness that we receive, the mercy and the grace that we receive. And we are enveloped by the wonder of it all. It, it doesn't matter what you've done in your life. Whatever, whatever disobedience, whatever sin, the right thing to do is to humble ourselves before God and to repent. And to put, in, put ourselves in a place to receive his grace and mercy. and, and the, the, the tears and the thoughts and, and the gratefulness floods in, just as it should when we partake of communion. My prayer is as we take communion today that we consider the love and grace and mercy God has for us, that, that, that he showed us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. While we were yet sinners, God knew you were gonna be you. He knew you were gonna do what you were gonna do, yet he still died for you. He still died for you. His his broken body and his shed blood. Oh, oh God, may we thank you this morning for your amazing grace and mercy to us. Help us to draw near to you. Thank you for the hope that that anyone has when you show them mercy, no matter who it is. Jonah was obedient to go, and then Jonah was obedient to proclaim, and that message was a message of judgment, and then the unthinkable happened. Nineveh repents. It's why Jonah didn't want to go there because he didn't want that to happen. Now, when Jonah gets to town, he wastes no time. In verse 4, he gets right at it. And then the Ninevites, as verse 5 says, believed God. They believed. They listened to the warning and then they repent. A fast was declared and they put on sackcloth a sign of penitence and humility. And it was genuine, which is exactly why Jesus said to the people of his day as recorded in Luke chapter 11 that the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment and condemn you, he's talking to the Jews, will condemn you because they listened to the preaching of another prophet called Jonah and responded, and you have listened to the preaching of one greater, the Messiah himself, and you choose not to respond. And it wasn't just a few people. It was everyone. Which blows my mind. From, from the greatest to the least, it says. And it was, wide, it was a widespread reaction. Verse 5, they declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. This went right through the structure of their civilization. They were all going around in sackcloth. The, the message reaches the king and the public response is more than matched by his royal response. He changes his clothes. He changes out of his royal clothes and he puts on sackcloth. He changes his place. He then proceeds to sit in the dust and then he changes his tune. And he issues a proclamation in Nineveh and he says this, we are all going to do this now even our animals. Put sackcloth on every person and every animal. Verse 8, let everyone call urgently to God. that Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Could you imagine that happening in the United States today? It would be amazing, wouldn't it? I mean, now that would be a revival. We we talk about revival, we talk about we want it, and, and we search for it. But if that happened to our nation like it happened to Nineveh, holy smokes the youngest to the oldest, the least to the greatest, and every single structure of our government, if they declared ourselves to be in urgent need of God's mercy and truly, truly deserving of his judgment. Picture this. Our, Our president, Joe Biden, from the Oval Office, brings a message. It's covered by every news organization. Every media outlet is there. And he says, genuinely, let us have a day of repentance. And let us see whether God will not, in his mercy, come and free us as we give up our violent deeds and as we turn away from the evil that we have embraced. And in watching this, everyone agreed. That's what happened in Nineveh. God moved. They heard, they listened, they repented. Even the king implores everyone and everyone joins in. The king king acknowledges, now now listen, that even then, if we do this, it's not a guarantee that God's gonna relent. And I I think sometimes we get that way. And it puts us in a, in the wrong place, in the wrong attitude. See, the king here says, who knows? Who knows? This judgment has been declared, but who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. In other words, he recognizes that because they repent, it's not automatic that God will hold back in his reaction, in his punishment, in his discipline for the wrong that they have committed. There is no definite indication that their turning in repentance will be accompanied by a divine turning. God doesn't make that promise. So the king says, but you never know God may actually respond in this way. And it's a reminder to us of this, that even in our repentance, we have no place to argue acceptance before God. It's only by his grace and mercy. It's nothing that we can justify within ourselves. You see, we often... I think if we press button A, God is duty bound to press button B. But I think that's upside down. Because the future well being of the repentant remains solely dependent on the grace of God. Because the message to the Ninevites was this 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. That was the message. So why then does God not respond in that way? Does he make a liar out of himself? Does does he declare his word to be untrue? No. Because the genuinely repentant heart says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm not worthy to be called your son. So make me as one of your hired servants. I deserve nothing. My repentance doesn't guarantee me anything. It doesn't guarantee me a place in the house. It doesn't guarantee me your love and your affection. If you choose to do that, who knows what you may choose to do? I am yours. I am yours. So our part is this. When God calls, may we be obedient to go and then proclaim May we deliver the good news of the gospel and truly rejoice when even our enemies repent and are given grace by God. And let us then humble ourselves and pray, recognizing that that we do not manipulate the hand of God. We deserve nothing for obedience and repentance is what we should do. We don't deserve prizes and praise. Hey, there you go. Very good, excellent response. Go to the top of the class. That is how man-centered our thinking is. No, as we approach the communion table this morning, may we humbly say, as the pagan king did, we need to do this. And who knows? Who knows? Let's pray. Father, the Bible wears us out. It draws us in. It demands our best. Help us to bow before the vastness of your truth. Our best thinking pales in comparison to the immensity that, that your word is and that your truth is. And, and here we are back with Paul again. Oh, the depth of the riches of the knowledge of God. But we do thank you, Lord, that though you are the God who pronounces inevitable judgment, that when we hear your prophetic word, we come in remorse and in childlike faith, and you do indeed respond with compassion and with mercy. And from our perspective, it looks as though you have changed your mind when in fact you have remained true to every word you have ever spoken. Father, I pray that you would help us not to take advantage of your grace and mercy. That we would consider the sin in our life and the disobedience and the ignoring of, of what you're trying to tell us and that we would turn towards you and that we would seek first the kingdom of God and that we would understand that as we do that, that it's out of your grace and mercy that you then Provide us with everything that we need. God, help me, help us to to weigh in the balance your judgment and seriousness towards sin and wickedness and evil and also that fact that we can come before you and that you do forgive and that you do restore us. That you are, you're faithful and you're just and you forgive us and you wash us clean. And Father, as we partake of communion this morning, I pray that you would draw us in Help us to bow our tiny minds before the greatness of you and the greatness of your truth. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.